right, our first speaker tonight is a wonderful guy. I had a terrific conversation with him on the phone. Uh, Jesus Nieto is... <laughs> needs no introduction, obviously. He is an associate professor of teacher education at San Diego State University and has been looking into subjects related to the issues around 9-11 for some time. I did a little investigation on Jesus because I wanted to know who did we get for this event tonight. And San Diego State has a website where students can evaluate their professors. And um, so I looked you up, Jesus. I said, okay, who is this guy? Let's see what the, let's see what the students think of him. And what was interesting to note was that he had overwhelmingly a greater number of evaluations than any other teacher. And I just want to read a couple of them to you. Jesus is awesome. He's kind-hearted and wants to inform his students. He's liberal, but I'm conservative in the military, and he liked my viewpoints. He warns his students not to believe anything he says. Here's another comment. Liberal bleeding heart, but the best teacher at SDSU. And this comes from a conservative. The best class I've ever taken. Jesus is the man. This class was great. I recommend everyone take this class. He's nice, caring, thought-provoking. He tells it like it is, unlike other professors. I love Jesus and can't recommend his class enough. So let's give a warm welcome to Jesus. Wow, what a setup. How do I live up to all of that? Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank the people whose hard work this event possible. Could we see the hands of the people who worked on this? There are a lot of wonderful people here, including all of you who are in attendance. I really appreciate taking time out of your life to be here with us and to investigate the uh, events of September 11th, 2001. I want to begin by telling you that on September the 10th, 2001, the day before, I was talking to a colleague at San Diego State who was left of left of left of left. <laughs> and he was telling me that um, the Bush dynasty is crumbling, that people are waking up, that you know, it, the oppression can't go on much longer. And I said, you know, it would only take one thing, one event, to turn all of that around and to have everyone rally around the flag, one thing. Quick, quick. That was September 10th. About 12 hours later, I was awakened with the news that, quote, we are under attack. And I'm like, what do you mean we're under attack? This was my sister Maria. And uh, she said, look, these planes in the buildings. And I said, those son of a bitches, forgive me. And she said, who? And I said, CIA, who do you think is doing this? <laughs> now, let me repeat my rules in my class. Three rules in my class. One, don't believe anything I say. Two, don't believe anything you say. Whatever you think right now, based on whatever research you've done, may be wrong. I may be completely wrong. Number three, don't believe anything anyone else says. <laughs> that means we have to use our minds and our hearts all the time, 24-7. We have to always know that we may be wrong. We always have to be open to views that are very different than ours, and we have to understand that that makes us a more complete uh, person with a fuller perspective. So having said all of that, why was it, thank you, but why would I have jumped to the conclusion, which again may be 100% wrong, that this was an inside job, um, it was based on 25 years of studying the U.S. government and 
specifically the Central Intelligence Agency. I had my mind blown by a film on El Salvador around 1980 that showed people who looked like pizzas after they'd been tortured and murdered. And according to the film, which was uh, made by a Dutch film crew commissioned by the World Council on Churches, uh, the U.S. was responsible for death squads, torture, murder, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not the kind of person to right away agree or believe, so I'm like, well, I gotta find out for myself. So every day I started reading paper, uh, reading magazines, going to events, watching films, and what I learned, what I came to believe, right or wrong, was that every single day the U.S. government lied about El Salvador. Every single day, they never told the truth. They never told the truth. And this hurt me. This hurts me. This hurts me that my tax dollars go to torture people. That hurts me. It hurts me to know that my tax dollars have blown up 250,000 of my Iraqi sisters and brothers, and who cares? Who cares? Who cares about all of the dead Afghans? Who cares? They're not like us, they're Muslims, it's okay. We don't need them, they're terrorists, they're terrorists. I debated a guy at State about 9-11 and, and uh, the film Fahrenheit 9-11 actually, and he said, not all Muslims are terrorists, but all terrorists are Muslims. <laughs> and this is a faculty member at San Diego State. And that raises the question, what is terror? Is it not terrifying when a bomb falls on Iraq and blows up little kids and their brains are on the street. Is that not terrifying? That terrifies me. That terrifies me when I look at those horrifying pictures, trying to figure out, you know, wh what is this? 1947, Democrat Harry Truman created something called national security. They passed the National Security Act and created the concept of national security behind which anything can be done. It's for national security. We can't tell you why because of national security. That's why we had to seize all those surveillance cameras uh, by where 9-11 took place. That's why we had to take all the beams from the buildings and send them to China where they were melted. National security. The CIA was created by the National Security Act, 1947. It was supposed to be uh, an information gathering agency, which sounds great to me. I want to be safe. I'm sure you do too. Uh, however, they started overthrowing governments quite soon, 1953. Democratically elected President Mossadegh of uh, Iran, who was replaced by the Shah of Iran. Hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons made on that. Uh, they had torture centers, etc. 1954, Guatemala, democratically elected President Jacobo Arbenz, overthrown, uh, replaced by a Colonel Castillo, Carlos Castillo Yarmas. Again, torture, murder, et cetera, et cetera. Hundreds of thousands of Guatemalans have been killed as a result. Brazil, 1964, President Goulart, Dominican Republic, 1965. Salvador Allende in Chile, 1973. 1980s, we had Afghanistan, we had the CIA shoring up the Taliban and Osama bin Laden to get rid of the Soviet Union. That was a successful campaign. 1980, Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua. Again, torture centers, death squads, people mutilated, things done to human beings that are incomprehensible. Rape is always a part of war. Rape is always a technique used. Women assaulted with dogs, sexually assaulted with dogs. Chile, Argentina, uh, unbelievable things done to human beings. This is a very male agenda. We live in a patriarchal society. Men kill, men torture, men plan wars, men implement wars. There are also, there are also women such as Margaret Thatcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, obviously. However, I would suggest to you that, that uh, it's primarily a male enterprise. 
Now, in doing all of this stuff, the CIA has had some very interesting partners. The Vatican worked with them to overthrow uh, USSR, basically. Uh, they did that by um, focusing on Poland. Um, they've worked with the uh, mafia in terms of drug smuggling, and you may or may not have heard about drug smuggling. Let me mention that in my quest for information, I've talked to Green Berets, DEA agents, uh, SEAL, uh, ex-CIA, military officers. I've had a lot of military people in my classes. Uh, they come up and tell me stuff at recess or recess. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> that shows you the level of education I provide my students, you know. <laughs> anyway, one name that I have to tell you about is Dan Mitrioni. And if you do nothing else, I hope you will Google Dan Mitrioni. M-I-T-R-I-O-N-E. M-I-T-R-I-O-N-E. He was a torture specialist. He was from uh, Richmond, uh, Indiana, went to work for the government training people in torture techniques, did this in Uruguay, Brazil, Haiti, third world countries, people with dark skin. Just to show you a few of the, uh, of the tortures they used, the telephone, smash the ears over someone's ears, burst the eardrums. Statue of Liberty, you have a person stand on two jagged cans uh, with jagged edges and they stand on their barefoot, they hold up an object a heavy object, let's see how long, how long you can maintain the pose of the Statue of Liberty. They had the dragon chair, a dentist chair where they drilled on the teeth without anesthetic while administering electric shock, which was Mitrioni's specialty. Abu Ghraib is nothing compared to what they've been doing to people all around the third world for many, many, many years. I hate to say it, I wish it wasn't true, I believe it, it may not be true, I hope it's not true. So what do we do? Uh, we realize uh, that there have been things done that are so horrific that they dwarf 9-11, they dwarf Abu Ghraib and all these other things. The context is just, it's amazing. It's an amazing context of millions of lives that have been taken as a result of uh, really profit. If I had to pick a title for my talk, it would be September 11th, the CIA and the super wealthy. The CIA are attack dogs for the rich, as far as I'm concerned. I don't mean to offend anyone, I may be wrong, but they're always about protecting the interests of wealth. Why uh, is there war in Iraq? Because there's much more war, uh, much more money in war than in providing prenatal care to women, than in providing shelter for our homeless sisters and brothers, 10, 15,000 on the streets of San Diego, than providing pencil and chalk and tables and schools, uh, et cetera. So there's just all sorts of things I would love to talk about, very limited on time. So let me just say that if I had to read a couple books to study this stuff, one would be uh, a book called Rogue State that is by a man named William Bloom. He worked for the White House and he left over what was being done in Vietnam and he gives you a chapter on assassinations, a chapter on torture, a chapter on drugs, a chapter on chemical warfare against US citizens in the United States. It, the book goes on and on, very well documented. I would suggest that book to you. Uh, again, I remind you, um, don't believe anything I say. Uh, let me check how I'm doing on time. Am I just about two minutes? Okay. Uh, what are the effects of war? What are the effects of September uh, 11th? Whoop, wrong folder. Here's an article from uh, the views of Representative John Murtha. What does the Iraq war cost us? $11 million every hour. $11 million an hour. Here's an article, Army equipment costs triple due to Iraq. Defense contractors are having a field day. Here's one, the war on waste. This is from CBS News, and in this, Rumsfeld is quoted as saying, 
that according to some estimates, we cannot track $2.3 trillion in transactions. Here's an article from a Republican website, Kill Em All, Let Allah Sort Em Out. And that's about the Middle East. Uh, here's one, there's no excuse for rape even during war, which talks about some of the atrocities that have been done. Uh, here's one, how the US super rich dodge taxes. So while we have people using our tax dollars to promote their interests by uh, the manufacture of weapons, the seizing of resources all around the world, uh, you know, these same folks are not paying their fair share of taxes. So uh, in conclusion, I may be right, I may be wrong. Uh, I hope you'll continue to question for yourself. Uh, and I thank you for being here. Thank you, Jesus. Ten minutes is really not a whole lot of time. You're just going to get a little taste of each, each of these speakers, and again, you'll have time to ask questions afterward. Our second speaker is John Leonard. John Leonard is the publisher of the first 9-11 expose that was published in English. It was called War on Freedom by Nafiz Ahmed. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. He's also the publisher of a book called 9-11 Synthetic Terror by Webster Tarpley. Great book. Also, Conspiracy Theories and Secrets of 9-11 by Math Matthias Brookers. He is a one-man press. He's got a press called Progressive Press, and he uh, grew up in Pasadena. He has degrees from UC Berkeley, and he's here today from Joshua Tree with his family. Thank you, John. Well, I guess uh, we'll do the commercial break first. <laughs> Those books that she was talking about. This, I think, is uh, in some ways the best book on 9-11. Uh, maybe David Ray Griffin's New Pearl Harbor is more the easy beginning uh, introduction. But this one goes uh, sort of to some of the things that uh, the previous speaker mentioned, how uh, actually fake terror is being used as um, uh, it's a tool for the oligarchy, for the plutocracy to, to hold on to their power. And uh, Webster's uh, been in the intelligence uh, business for like a quarter of a century. So he's sort of started, uh, like our friend here, he knew immediately. There was a few people that knew immediately on 9-11 what was going on. This was the first book that came out in 2002, and I even was able to write a chapter at the back. And this one, I think, is at the, at the moment maybe the most, uh, it's kind of a little bit different slant on things because the guy, oh, I'll mention it in my remarks. So. Um, I have uh, my extemporaneous remarks that I carefully <laughs> prepared <laughs> the other day. Uh, of the book? Okay, those, that was, uh, all right, that was 9-11 that was Synthetic Terror, which, which I think at the moment is the most advanced treatment. Uh, no, no, I'm the, sort of the editor. I'm basically a publisher. Uh, the authors don't give me enough time to write my own book. I'll get them yet. And this is War on Freedom uh, with uh, Nafiz Ahmed. I, I did manage to put a chapter in there in the back. And this is Conspiracies, Conspiracy Theories and the Secrets of 9-11. I also have 9-11 uh, on trial at the back there, which is a treatment of controlled demolition strictly. Um, and I mentioned some of that in, in my <laughs> remarks. So um, how I came to 9-11 issue. Uh, between uh, Vietnam and 2000, I was not very political. In fact, I got a, an MBA. I, uh, I went to Europe. I was doing business there. 
In 2000, what shook me up was the Al-Aqsa Intifada. I was living in the Czech Republic where the memory is very strong of you know, the, the Soviet tanks in Prague 68. With the, and here on the Czech television, I was seeing American tanks on the streets with the small boys throwing rocks, and it was in Palestine. So all, it was like my, my world view was to suddenly flipped upside down. It was a very stomach-churning experience. Uh, which I, uh, required a certain amount of uh, striving for equilibrium. Uh, I became, uh, from that, I became kind of a, uh, spent all my free time as an internet activist on the Palestine issue. Uh, in 2001, we came back to the United States, um, my, and I had to come to California in, in June because my mother, she had a small publishing business and she had health problems. Uh, I was looking for a job. I thought I was going to get this big financial manager job with all my experience in Europe. Came 9-11, it was a huge setback. Uh, all the job chances uh, disappeared. And uh, thanks to 9-11, I learned how to use a pair of box cutters. Uh, I started publishing, and I, and I had to open boxes of books. I didn't even know what a box cutter was before. Uh, so um, it was also a setback for this uh, activism in favor of, of the, the Muslims, because all of a sudden they had been you know, tar brushed with the biggest brush ever in history. Uh, so I felt that my little, inter my little internet activity, uh, activism wasn't working. I had to do something more solid, more lasting. I'd inherited this little practically more of a publishing business. I got the idea of doing a book and I uh, was quite lucky. I was actually through my online editor, Ali Khan of Media Monitors. I got this uh, manuscript of, of War on Freedom, uh, this book by uh, one of my colleagues from Media Monitors. And I stayed up all night reading that thing. And I sent him off an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna publish that because I figured here, like, I was really enthusiastic. Like, I got this is a scoop of the chan of a century. This story. I'll be the first one out. And I was. I beat Eric Huffschmidt by about a month or two. He came out, and in a sense, he beat me because he already came out with controlled demolition. Uh, Nafiz was afraid to put controlled demolition in the book because he was influenced by uh, Michael Rupert who I now believe is, is uh, some kind of an asset uh, because his, the timing of some of his decisions, he had a terrific influence over the 9-11 movement. I didn't really want to digress on that kind of stuff. Um, so the other thing about 9-11, I figured, well, here like 3,000 Americans have been killed. People are going to uh, empathize with that more than, you know, they, and, and Palestine, Israel, they can't tell who's, who's at fault against the other. It's far away. Um, I also felt as soon as 9-11 happened, as soon as I knew about it, I thought they're never going to get away with this. It's just too big. They've, but the question was, how long will it take? How many wars will they start? And uh, in this book, I tried to, uh, I put the, the chapter I put in there, I, I put in the history about, for me, like the US government is practically guilty until proven innocent. I had to turn justice on its head, because if you look at all the foreign wars the United States has been in, they've all been provoked by clandestine actions, like USS Maine, some of it's more clear than others. Uh, even Korea, that was, it goes on and on. Uh, Spanish-American War, Mexican War. Um, until uh, I, I got that manuscript, I was actually taken in by the 9-11 official story. Uh, Ahmed puts together, there are a ton of circumstantial evidence that the government was either uh, let it happen or made it happen. But at that point, we didn't really have the, the, the real smoking gun. Also, the idea of that the U.S. let it happen on purpose. There's a big flaw there. It still means that the Arabs attacked us, and you were going <laughs> to... So, it, like, you cannot use let it happen on purpose 
to, uh, has, uh, is actually completely useless if you want to stop a war. Because it's only people that are bothered by something so uh, insidious as letting it happen on person are liberals, and they're not the ones who are pushing the war anyway. Uh, the average guy in the street said, well, you know, okay, who cares whether Bush let it happen on purpose? They attacked us, and we're going to go clean them out, you know, or they'll attack us again. So um, the early years of the 9-11 movement, uh, most people were kind of timid. They would say, well, we cannot really prove that they did it themselves, but th we know that they let it happen. Uh, uh, but that really doesn't work. And that didn't, that didn't stop the Iraq war. That didn't stop the Lebanon war. And that won't stop the n preemptive nuking of Iran either. Um, so um, the similar situation, uh, speaking of Lebanon, which I mentioned in War on Freedom, is uh, there's a whole gamut of, of false flag and, and fake terror uh, types of uh, tactics and intrigues. Uh, for instance, Pearl Harbor, actually the U.S. and the English provoked Japan. They cut off their oil supplies. They, they, they cut off, they, they assassinated liberal uh, people, promoted militarists, and, and over a period of decades they actually brought Japan to attack the United States. A lot of people won't believe that. I don't have a lot of evidence on that, but I've heard about that. Uh, so that's one way. Uh, I've heard that about from, from actually from Tarkin, uh, who's a historian. Uh, in Israel-Palestine, you have uh, you have the suicide bombers. We know they're they're Palestinians, but they have handlers. Where those handlers are, are being, uh, but we know that they, in effect, it it, it it serves to continue the occupation and aggression against Palestinians. They're doing something against their own interest. Um, at that, uh, after I, I published this first book, I started selling Eric Hushmik's book on uh, painful questions, uh, waking up from our nightmare. Uh, and recently I put out this 9-11 trial, which is uh, all on controlled demolition. And the author of that, Victor Thorne, he's going to be on Coast to Coast AM tomorrow night with David Ray Griffin and uh, David Hawkins. So that should uh, be interesting. Uh, Coast to Coast AM, it's a, it's a midnight, it's a midnight conspiracy show, like you vote. 10 a.m. 600, 10 p.m. I guess I'm not right in the mic here. Um, so the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center is, is, is our smoking gun, which uh, people have more and more rallied around that. In fact, uh, after I saw this movie yesterday that just premiered 9-11 Mysteries, it's, like, it's more like a burning gun. <laughs> it's improved so many ways, six ways to Sunday, you know, like that, that's been proven 10 times over. All three uh, towers in the World Trade Center fell straight down at 44. Let me ask a question here. How many people here are already consider yourself 9-11 truthers? Like, so I don't know if I even need to do this recitation. Uh, but anyway, in controlled demolition, you blow all the supports out at the same time, so it has to fall straight down. Any other kind of damage, you're going to have a twisting, a toppling. Like if you cut a tree down, it doesn't go straight into the earth. It falls over, right? Um, so, and the, 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 the so-called experts, uh, cover-up artists from the government, like this Professor Eager from MIT, which I think maybe means military industrial technocracy, whether or not it's in Massachusetts, he says, oh, gee, I thought it was strange too at first, but, but anything that heavy has to fall straight down. You know, good one, Galileo. <laughs> Where'd you get your PhD? Uh, and, but what he's done there, He's come out with something so absurd, so outrageous that you know, you know, there's no even rational way to answer it. Let's like, that's like, you know, that's like, it's 
basically verbal thuggery. You knock them down and... Uh. Um, the smoking gun, of course, is the hottest with the third building, w, uh, Building 7, uh, which is, that's why it's completely blacked out in the media. wasn't hit by a plane or, or well, maybe a little debris. Um, but there were other buildings. Well, yesterday I saw, like, footage of big pieces of, of the Twin Towers sticking into other buildings that didn't fall down. Just it's really amazing explosions. So they don't, they, the government doesn't even have an excuse. They, don't even, they haven't even, can't even make up a, a fairy tale about Building 7 like the one that they've tried to do on Building 1 and 2. I have to say that before uh, September 11, I was not uh, a conspiracy theorist. I was pretty much the opposite. I'd argue with conspiracy theorists, ignore them. Uh, it didn't fit into my view of the world, which was basically, well, things are going along, you know, the mainstream. Uh, <laughs> after 9-11, you know, <laughs> I guess I'm an incurable conspiracy theorist. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they had some kind of weather weapon that steered Katrina into New Orleans, and then they blew up the dikes, and then they, they had some nukes in the Indian Ocean that set off the tsunamis, and, and they had a harp weapon in the, in the space that made the earthquakes in Afghanistan. I believe anything. I wouldn't put anything past these people, especially anything really nasty, really high-tech, because that's what 9-11 was. It was the most outrageous piece of perfidy on what Webster Tarpley would call a world historical scale. He likes that word, word world historical, because I guess he's a world historian. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, like <laughs> I don't put anything past him. Like, guilty until proven innocent, and they'll need a pile of evidence to prove themselves innocent. Um, that's the way it is. Human beings, uh, we see what we expect. Uh, belief uh, has just, just as much influence on perception as perception has on belief, unfortunately. A uh, human mind is not like a digital computer that hits one little little comma <laughs> and pff, stops. Uh, what happens, we, we smooth that over, we keep going, we weigh the evidence like sort of an analog computer. If we, written, we hit new information that doesn't fit into our worldview or it turns it completely upside down, what we, then it's really, that's really hard on that new information. We will reject it, we'll ignore it, we'll rationalize it, we'll say, we'll discredit the source. Um, we say, I'm not a structural engineer like that genius Eager. Um, people have told me up front, well, I'm not going to consider that because I don't want to go where that leads. I mean, I, I mean, how bankrupt can you be? But people say that. Or they say, you know, where some pipe, Pied Piper might lead us, you know, because you give them that and, you know, well, you know what's going to happen, you know, rock the boat. Human mind is logical in very limited areas where we are not influenced by subjective factors. And that gives us the impression that we're logical about everything. But unfortunately, we are very susceptible to all kinds of influences. 9-11 was a huge, high-tech, high-risk psychological operation that's still going on. There's no telling what they're going to do next if we can't get people to see through these techniques of fake terror, the provocations, and all the other ways we, they manipulate us. And that, I think that's the demand on the human race to survive the 21st century is to understand how we're being manipulated. If you don't want to, <laughs> that's why we're all bankrupt with credit cards because they manipulate us into spending things and buying things we don't need. Um, so we urgently need to understand how this conditioning works. On 9-11, it started out with traumatic conditioning. Actually, Pavlov is not very well known for traumatic conditioning. He's known for the repetitive conditioning. But he had, uh, I hope I'm not going to make this go over my time, but he had, uh, he had these dogs. Everybody knows he, has, knows he has do had dogs. One day, I guess Russia is kind of a wet country. One day there was a flood in his laboratory, which is in the basement, and the dogs were in the cages, and they totally freaked out. And he, he called this the, the tra uh, 
paradoxical conditioning. And in this kind of traumatic conditioning, the personality flips over to the opposite of what it was before. Because it's trying to struggle to find a new arrangement to deal with this, so it says, well, I'll be the opposite of what it was before. So you take a nationality who are peace-loving and you make them warlike with, with traumatic conditioning. So first they come in with a trauma, with the exploding towers, people falling out of the windows. Because before that they had the, the coal, you know, the, the USS coal, they blew that up. That didn't, that didn't bother people. Ah, well, we, we got lots of boats. You know. <laughs> uh, so they had to do something to really traumatize people. Then, then they went to the other Pavlovian condition, the, the, the repetitive. Like over and over, watering those, those bad seeds, those weeds, about the evil terrorists and so on. The repetition just makes it so, uh, on our, for human beings, uh, a computer is, makes the same error a hundred times, a person won't, after a while they'll give up and say, well, I guess the error is the truth. Um, we're getting there. <laughs> Most people in 9-11 movement are, I think like me, they weren't into conspiracy stuff before 9-11. Most 9-11 authors are also like that. They've sort of connected the dots been put up by researchers. Uh, that's sort of the easy part because what's hidden is what the criminals are hiding. Uh, uh, even someone might be hiding in plain view. Uh, and you're not going to get that who it is and how it's worked, how it was done by just putting together the, the publicly available evidence. Uh, what we need to do to stop more 9-11s from happening is one, to understand better how they manipulate and the other uh, is to find out who really is behind it. Um, and it is, appears to be the same network that was behind Operation Northwards, uh, Lemnitzer uh, network, the same one actually that was behind the Mexican War. It, it sort of inherited through the military. Uh, and Webster Tarpley, uh, he, he's the, uh, one of the authors that already knew about this stuff before 9-11. So he starts kind of way down the street from the other ones. He, in 78, he broke open the Red Brigades, which were supposedly a communist uh, uh, terrorist outfit in, in Italy that blew up the Bologna Centrale station. And in fact, that was, they were NATO assets of the, the fascist P2 Lodge. Uh, uh, and that's what you call a counter gang, where you, where you create uh, some bad guys wearing the colors of your enemy to discredit and destroy your enemy. And he traces that back, actually, to, to, to the founding of the British Empire, uh, Guy Fox. I love that so much, his, his radio show on Guy Fawkes' uh, 400th anniversary. I put it here in the inside cover. And back to Venice, Byzantine, Byzantium, and Rome. It goes way back. And I put a, uh, here in, there, I'll post, put a flow chart in there showing how here's the oligarchy at the top, the CIA, the moles, and here's the synthetic terror, and how that, that's sort of like an engine of power and profit. Um, okay? Okay. okay. All right. Um, I'll just make concluding remarks. My next book is going to be by Kevin Barrett, uh, the guy who <laughs> uh, shut down Sean Hannity on his own show. So he will replace, uh, displace Matthias Brookers as the most entertaining. I'm hoping that Barrett will be sort of like the Al Franken of the 9-11 movement, or like the Michael Moore with the humor. Uh, my, my, my conclusion is that um, we are really getting very strong 9-11 movement, and we really, we've really beaten them. They just... They just don't, haven't figured out how they're going to take it. Uh, this week, Time magazine, they couldn't ignore the Harris poll. They, they said, well, with 36% of people are conspiracy theorists, then it's mainstream. Uh, so the only question is uh, how big our victory will be. We're going to win. And I think we have to go all the way. We have to find out who they are. We have to convict a whole lot of them. And we have to face the fact that this society 
is totally corrupt at the top. Totally corrupt. And I, I think that's the truth that, that can really set us free. Thank you so much. It is no fun being the cop and having to, to tell people it's time because I could listen to all these guys all day. Does, does everyone know who Kevin Barrett, he, who he was talking about the next book? Kevin Barrett is the professor at the University of Wisconsin, I believe, um, who uh, he, he taught Islamic studies anyway. The university tried to boot him out because of his activism in the 9-11 truth movement, and so he became a national figure, Kevin Barrett. Wonderful, articulate guy. And as long as we're on the subject of uh, polls, I don't know if anyone else saw that MSNBC.com had a, a front page story on the 9-11 truth movement on its, and its website. And they had one of those polls at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the article saying, do you believe any of the conspiracy theories suggesting the US government was somehow involved in 9-11? Well, this is a mainstream media site. And it's 57% yes, the government was involved. 37 no, and 6% I don't know. So that's 65%. So yeah, I'd say it's gone mainstream. So, all right. Um, where are my notes? Our next speaker has been oh so patient. OK, now I screwed up my notes. <laughs> she needs no introduction. <laughs> wow, that's really weird. It just sort of disappeared. It's a conspiracy. Wow. Maybe John took my, um, did you happen to take my, well, you know what? I'm going to, did you grab my notes? No? Monica Jimenez, she has an, <laughs> You see what happens? You see, we are not, we are a loose confederation of amateurs here. Monica is an activist and writer with Venezuelan online newspaper, vheadline.com. Her story is incredible. She's the daughter of a former CIA agent, Marita Lorenz, and Venezuelan president, Marcos Perez Jimenez. By the age of 15, Monica was arrested for trying to protect her mother from Frank Sturgis, you may know his name from the Watergate days, whom she believed was going to assassinate her mother for her mother's role in giving testimony to the House Assassination Committee regarding the murder of President Kennedy. Uh, Monica wanted to avoid having anything to do with the CIA. You can imagine with a childhood like that, she'd had enough, uh, but as she's gonna tell you, the events of 9-11 changed that for her a lot. So thank you, Monica. Hi, good evening, everybody. I'm so glad to see that this is a standing room only event. Thank you all for, for having questions. And I hope I, as well as the people that I am following who've given you some excellent, excellent information, um, all of it. Every word I've heard this evening from these gentlemen so far is absolutely true. And let me, I'm gonna give you kind of a quick background of myself. Um, and I, I like to do it visually. So 
On that note. You got it. No, that, that's fine. I can, I can do books. Okay. So we'll start here so you get a little bit of my background. Oh, never mind. <laughs> However you want to work it, I can do till then. This is my mother, Marita Lorenz, former CIA agent. She was Fidel Castro's mistress. Um, at the age of 19, she, her, senior, uh, her senior in the CIA was Frank Sturgis. Uh, she was in the Bay of Pigs. She had gotten pregnant by Fidel, and with a forced abortion, um, she was sent back to the United States and then programmed to be an assassin. The programming, if I can tell you, I will not get graphic or gory, was heinous, okay? And it included uh, mind-altering drugs. Um, obviously, she failed her mission. She's not a, a killer. So they sent her on another mission. Her second mission was to pick up monies from the forder, former dictator, Marcos Perez Jimenez, who happened to have been uh, exiled in Florida at the time. She wanted out of the CIA, and here I stand as a product of that botched up assignments. <laughs> um, but again, my mom wanted out and she couldn't get out. So, my father, Marcos Perez Jimenez. The next book I'm going to show you, uh, I have a son. His grandfather was Orlando Letelier, the Chilean ambassador to the United uh, States. This is another book, Assassination on Embassy Row. Probably one of the most blatant assassinations of our time on American soil, five blocks from the White House. This man was blown in half with his secretary, Ronnie Moffat. They caught one of the people, believe it or not, on America's Most Wanted. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, some of these we don't need to go to. That street is named after my grandfather, who was the captain of an ocean islander. That's my little kid down there. If you can go to a, a there's a, a, a headline. Yeah, there's a headline with like, I'm in a, with Frank Sturgis and stuff. My grandmother, this is all kind of excerpts from a book. Um, <coughs> one thing here, I strongly suggest, Marita Lorenz, you can see my, where my mom lies in the web, the tangled web that um, is the web that uh, unfortunately JFK fell into and was assassinated. Okay, um, that's my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother, Alice June Lorenz, worked for the OSS and she was murdered by um, the CIA to make my mother change her testimony for the Kennedy assassination because my mother's testimony um, showed that there was definitely, without a doubt, conspiracy to kill uh, JFK. So if you want to see how that works and how um, Daddy, Daddy Senior Bush fits into the whole uh, realm of things, JFK right here too explains it beautifully. And I strongly also suggest the Addicted to War. This is kind of, I've given this to a lot of teenagers too so they can read it. Easy reading, very important. False flag information as the gentlemen were mentioning before. And back to 9-11, was a beautiful day. I was in my car, I was going to work. Brooklyn Queens Expressway happens to uh, skate along the East River and it's right across the street from the towers. Okay, you'll see me, that's me. My dad, my dad, my mom and, and such. 
when um, my father was exiled, I'm going to go back to this for a minute, my father was exiled, we were dropped in the South American jungles and left for dead. So what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to get across to everybody today is we absolutely, without a doubt, cannot put anything past this administration. Everything. We have to think outside the box because it is overwhelming. What I saw on 9-11 mortified me. And I knew that second because I've seen and lived with a woman that tried to get out of the CIA. I've watched my mother get shot at. I've watched my mother pick her up when she's been poisoned. I know what they're capable of. I sat through the House Assassination Committee so I would not be killed. My grandmother was injected with something prior to that and died shortly afterwards. That was to let my mother know she should keep her mouth shut. So, on that note, I'm your Forrest Gump here. I'm trying to let everybody know because I'm a parent. And what I saw that day, again, was horrible. I come to you today with, I've ingested, I've breathed in the souls of 3,000 people. And that's what makes me stand here today because those buildings were absolutely, without a doubt, imploded. No ifs, ands, or buts. I was an actress and a stunt woman prior to coming here. And believe me, if you think I wanted to be involved in any of this, no way. Cost me my grandmother, cost me my father, even cost me my mother at a certain point because she was so damaged and so hurt. And they, they really, really are so cruel. Doesn't matter if you have children. Children, we are all disposable. And that's really sad. Michael Carroll, firefighter, ladder number three. My friend, no longer with us. They never found his body. Of course they didn't. This has to be one of the most scary things I've ever seen. I don't know if you can see it. This is the, uh, this is the emergency response to terrorism. This was the manual. Basic concepts, 1997. Federal Emergency Management Agency, National Fire Academy. Can you all see this from 1997? This is an actual document. Okay, somebody had a plan. I was stand, uh, where I was, what I saw, I was trapped under the Brooklyn Bridge and everybody around me knew and we had all seen the same thing. If you take a building and it's going like this at the top, everybody thought it was gonna crack off and then all of a sudden, neatly, cleanly, boom, 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 boom. That was an implosion. Don't believe me? Go to websites. Go to websites where there are demolition websites. I've gone to many of them. I think there's Implosion World. Um, so that right there, you can see the difference between something toppling over and something that is taken down. So on that note, this is what we have to swallow as Americans. We, the people, demand the truth. And if you think this is going to be the last incident, there's no way. There's going to be more unless we make sure that this is an end. There's an end put to this. 
okay, what I saw that day, I will never forget. And I have a lot of firemen friends in New York City, and they all said the same thing. They'd go to the pile, they'd called it the pile. Burning, burning, burning for weeks, okay? And if anybody noticed how quickly everything was cleaned up, okay, how come we can't do that for New Orleans? Is it me? Okay. And what happened to the bird flu? Okay. The media is the instrument. Technology is the way that they use and they can, they can enable things like this to happen. Okay. There are movies. Enemy of the State is a great movie. It's with Will Smith, Gene Hackman, okay, Vendetta. There are certain sec uh, movies out there that are just mainstream movies that kind of snuck in there, okay? If you get a chance, do that. But don't believe me. Don't believe me. Look for yourselves. I encourage you, please, do some research. The mainstream media, I'll tell you one little trick here I learned. When there's something going on they don't want you to know about, okay, you're going to hear about John Binet, you're going to hear about everything else except what you need to hear about. All right, Divine Strake is another thing that's really uh, put up a flag for me. That's um, where they were going to set off the biggest, largest bunker blaster uh, in Nirvana. And I don't know, but you think it's a good idea to set off something like that? near, near uh, the San Andreas Fault and, and seismic, to cause seismic activity. The purpose of that is to see and how the seismic activity registers. What about us? Again, we are disposable. I've seen it firsthand. I've watched what they've done. And I'm an American. I love my country. My mother, my grandmother worked for this country Okay, it's very important we open our eyes and see what's going on. And if you can't find it there to do it, if something's scary, turn around, find the nearest child. Look at your own children. It's not about us anymore. It's about our children. It's about what it will be left for them. God bless you all. Namaste. Okay, our last speaker, and this is perfect, this is Providence. Our last speaker, our next speaker, last speaker, Gloria Boileau. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, Gloria. <laughs> She'll tell you. <laughs> uh, she's going to address this issue that is hanging in the room right here, fear. Um, it's something that I think uh, really stands in the way of the rest of the population becoming active in the movement. She received her degree in communications from the University of Wisconsin. She's a, an active member in the National Speakers Association. And in response to the tragedies of 9-11, she wrote a book called Stop the Fear, Finding Peace in a Chaotic World. So Gloria, help us stop the fear. Thank you, Martha. 
Gloria works fine. Is anybody feeling a little heavy right about now? <laughs> I'm going to ask all of you to sit up in your seats. Not stand up, <laughs> sit up in your seats. I know that's a tough instruction. <laughs> and we just need to get some oxygen flowing through here right now. So go ahead and breathe in through your nose. And breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. One more time. Breathe in and breathe out. How many of you have fear about tomorrow? Raise your hand. Many of us. For this generation of Americans, nothing has created a collective fear as much as 9-11. And it has created a heavy feeling for us. And it is a collective fear that stays with us. We have not healed from it yet. And we've heard about so, so many different things that are happening this, 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 this evening and that can create even greater fear for us. 9-11 created terror in each one of us. And that terror, by definition, is intense, overwhelming fear. We now live in a fear-based world. So what do we do about it? It's time to stop the fear. And it is up to each one of us to do that. It is not to minimize anything that we have heard this evening. But it is to say that we must each take responsibility for the way that we are choosing to respond to the different things that are taking place. And as we stop the fear, we are much more capable of relating to these situations in an effective, positive, healthy, and productive way. So in creating the shift, we must look from a new perception because the old way of dealing with fear will no longer work. That time has passed. I know something about fear. I went to 9-11 and never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I would be part participating personally in this event. But one day I was going for a walk and suddenly was inspired. And it was two days before the final ceremony. I knew in that moment that I had to go to 9-11. On May 28, 2002, there I stood at ground zero. There were times that I stood there wondering, what am I doing here? But those were only brief moments because I knew that there was a higher order at work. I knew that these people were needing compassion and needing love. Not that I could help everybody, but certainly my presence there, maybe if only helping one person, could make a difference. The stories that I heard left an indelible mark 
in my mind and in my heart even more than 9-11. When the man that had just had a triple bypass three weeks ago had to walk down 48 flights of stairs to save his life, he said to me, I was terrified. I was in fear. And all I knew was that I had to forget everything and run and keep running and keep running. Then there was the gentleman that had been bashed against the wall because a file cabinet hit him. He was struck unconscious for a while, but then came to and came down 21 flights of stairs to his freedom. There was also the fireman that I held in my arms as he talked about his five fallen brothers. Then there was the fireman, and he was all in his gear. The tears were falling. And yet, at the end of that ceremony, he was ready to go back, to be of service. And what I found through all this was even though these people had experienced horrific fear beyond anything that we could imagine in this moment, what came from it was hope. In their drama, in their trauma, they had to go deep within themselves and find another place to live from, and they found it. Hope, it was the healing of everybody, and it was beautiful. The phoenix had risen at that ceremony, and truly, it was so heartfelt, it will always be with me. These people knew hope, and they found peace, and that was beautiful. How about us? When I came back to San Diego, I noticed that there were a lot of people that hadn't begun to heal. And as an international speaker and traveling extensively, I also found that that was very true even in foreign countries. This was something that happened that not only affected America, it affected the world. And we were frozen in time. We still are. So what are we going to do about it? We have to understand that it's time for us to come from a different place of perception. When we have a crisis come into our life, be it small, personal, or large and global, in the past what we would do is we would react to it. And we become a part of that drama. We become the victim in many cases. That is not going to work today. We live in a society that is escalating in global conflict. So where are we going to find the peace? We're going to find it within ourselves. And when we go within ourselves, we must think differently. The crisis has taken place just recently where we had the, uh, the terrorists in London. The flags get raised again. Here we go. Well, now we have a choice in our new way of thinking. Am I going to react to it and, oh my gosh, be a part of the drama and isn't this terrible and on and on like most people do? And I don't mean to be judgmental at all because, quite frankly, it's a part of our training. 
And yet when we start to understand that we need to create some distance from all of which is going on, not to minimize 9-11 in any way, that would only be very Pollyanna of me, but to remember that life has its cycle and every generation is affected by a trauma. We had the Great Depression and we had Pearl Harbor. Then we had 9-11. So how is this that we come to a new way of thinking and live a life of peace when we now have a very chaotic world filled with terror and uncertainty? We do it one step at a time, and that first step is awareness. It is within the heightened awareness of how we are relating to something rather than reacting to it that we start to find the peace in a chaotic world. And in finding that peace, we will also begin to find our place in the bigger picture. So we must first quiet ourselves and notice how we are reacting to the event. As we notice that, then we make a conscious choice to relate to it in a different way. And we do that by becoming the observer of our own self. Look at me, look at how I am choosing to relate to this. And if I am going into the chaos, am I really being of service in the best way that I can? No. By detaching from the event in a healthy way and becoming quiet, literally sitting down and taking some time to quiet the mind and go into the soul, we find peace. And this isn't a peace that's within some of us. Each and every one of us has it. And as we learn how to access that quiet within ourselves, what we will also do is find our place in the world. When we find that place in the world, we are then able to come forward back into the world, into our activity, and be of great service to humanity. It is by each one of us making this choice that we begin to change the world to one of hope, to one of peace. We cannot control the events that are taking place right now, but we can control ourselves. James Thurber said, don't look back in anger, don't look forward in fear, but look around in awareness. I ask that you join me in that heightened level of awareness and find your own peace. Together, we can stop the fear. Thank you. That was just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> Thank you, Gloria. Um, how many of you feel are feeling like, I want to know what I can do, apart from uh, uh, coming from a place of peace and looking around in a detached way, and then from that detached way, what can I do? We have someone here, Mike Kopass, who's going to, before, as the speakers come up and, and take their seats um, for our Q&A, we're going to have Mike Kopass come up and talk about the formulation of a citizen's grand jury. This is part of the legal steps that we can take to turn things around. So Mike, 
please take the podium and Thank you. My name's Mike Copas. I'm a member of uh, San Diego's for 9-11 Truth. You can see the website there. Can you hear me? So I have uh, two questions for you. Is there anyone here that feels like they haven't really got the full story from the government about what happened on 9-11? You can raise your hand or, yeah. And is there anyone here that wishes, you know, as a citizen, as essentially a shareholder, a stakeholder in the United States of America, to do something about it? Huh? All right. So uh, we have an interesting project we're starting. We, uh, we are going to form a citizen's grand jury investigation uh, in order to investigate the crimes of the events related to September 11th. And I'm going to describe what a citizen's grand jury is in a moment. It's a little bit different than your regular grand jury. So uh, in our Constitution, it reads in the Fifth Amendment, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So uh, is there anyone here can tell me who has been indicted for crimes related to September 11th? Has, has Osama bin Laden been indicted? We see him on TV, don't we? They talk about terrorism. They sort of link everything in your mind. But let's get down to hard cases, all right? Uh, the FBI would know, wouldn't they? What did the FBI have to say about, about uh, Osama bin Laden? Well, this fellow named Ed Haas of the Muckrake Report asked them, and the top spokesman said, well, he was asking, he asked him why in Osama bin Laden's most wanted poster, he's not, there's no mention of 9-11, nothing about it. You can look on the FBI website. And uh, the FBI said the reason why 9-11 is not mentioned on Osama bin Laden's most wanted page is because the FBI has, quote, no hard evidence connecting bin Laden to 9-11. Let me repeat that, no hard evidence. So we have to get to the question, who did it? I, I feel that our government and our media institutions have failed us. We need to stand up as citizens now and take charge and investigate. And fortunately, the framers of the Constitution knew these things would happen. They knew government would be unable to investigate itself. So they reserved some of these rights for the citizenry. That's you and me. That's us in this room. So what we're going to do is bring together 9-11 researchers, relative experts in engineering, uh, pilots. We're going to call a town meeting. It's open to the public. You're all invited to come and uh, you can give us your name and uh, information, we'll contact you. And we're gonna impanel a citizen's grand jury, and that is, that grand jury would meet to uh, review evidence and write presentments. Uh, everyone is invited, we'll need 25 jurors, uh, and what we'll do is uh, have, it's gonna be a multi-hour event, we haven't decided on the date, we'll keep you posted. We'd like to do it at SDSU on around the 27th of October, a little bit before the election, seems like a good time. Uh, and if you'd like to find out more about this, uh, please uh, give us your name. We've got a table in the back. Jill, holding the clipboard, has a sign-up sheet. You can give us your name as merely a, a statement of support. If you also want to be contacted, please give us your email or phone number. So after the grand jury meets, we'll take our findings to the San Diego Standing Grand Jury. We will take them to Bonnie Dumanis, the prosecutor. We'll ask them if they believe there's a grounds for opening a wider investigation. We'll be very interested in their answer. We'll take the, these, these findings are transparent. They're open to the public. This isn't some military tribunal in Gitmo. This is transparency. Sunshine is the best disinfectant, Judge Brandeis. So 
if you want a copy of the fi these findings, because this, this will be some of the best, most recent 9-11 information evidence up to date, uh, you can take them. We'll get you a copy. You can take them to Daryl Issa in Oceanside. You can take them to Suzanne Davis. It doesn't matter, Republicans, Democrats. Uh, stand up and demand some accountability. We want you to get involved in this grand jury effort. Please give us your name and the table in the back. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Okay, we're going to have the speakers come forward. Um, I'm sure you guys have questions. What we're, how we're going to do the questions and answers is we're going to have um, people line up, I think, and Ted is going to come up here and sort of moderate that. So if you have questions, why don't you just start lining up here if you, if you want to come and, and ask your question at the